Chapter Twenty Three of Mothering on Perilous by Lucy Furman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three, Despair and Budding Romance, Thursday Evening. I went to the jail to see Blant this morning, but was almost sorry that I did so. He sits there in his cell, speechless, despairing, refusing food or rest, hearing and seeing nothing. In vain the jail-keeper and I attempted to talk to him, and tell him he must not reproach himself so bitterly, or give way to such utter despair, since he was in no way to blame for the death of his friend. He looked agonizingly beyond us, evidently not conscious that we were talking. The worst of it is that circuit court will not sit here again until early April, two and a half months, and his suffering must be cruelly protracted. After this visit, it was almost impossible for me to go in and talk and read cheerfully to Nucky, and make plausible excuses for Blant's non-appearance, which is worrying him a great deal. I had news from Trigger yesterday, I told him. Todd has gone away, so there will probably be peace for a long while. Where is he gone to? he asked. I am unable to say, I replied. Monday Blant continues to refuse all food and to maintain his terrible silence. He sits with his head in his hands all day long, oblivious to everything around him. The kind-hearted keeper stays in his cell with him at night. I know he ain't in no fix to stand lonesomeness, he said to me today. Even if he don't pay no attention to me, I allow it some comfort to him to have a human nigh. Then he added, if he ain't able to speak out his grief before long, it's liable to strike in and kill him. Something ought to be done to rouse him. What? I asked. Oh, I don't rightly know, but he's turned loose all holts on life. Something to grapple him to it again is needed. Knowing their love for each other, my first thought, of course, was to bring Nucky, but the terrible story could have only disastrous effects upon him at present so that is not to be considered. THURSDAY The mail carrier stopped at the gate yesterday to say, I hear tell that Blant hain't touch a morsel of vittle since he shot rich. Neither has the babe since he left it to speak of. The poor little creature just wimps and pines for him continual, and won't scarcely touch the food its pap gives it. Minervy Saxby's been over trying to peacify it, but in vain. It was all as purely silly about Blant, allowing he's its ma. When a babe gets its mind sought that away on a proposition, there ain't no help for it but to give it what it craves. It's likely to pine away if you don't. I did not tell Blant of this when I stopped by the jail this afternoon. I hope it will not reach him, as it could only add to his misery. I was thankful when I arrived to find him out in the common room where all the prisoners stay during the day even though he sat in a corner and did not seem to see the others. The keeper followed me out again and talked a while on the steps. I got Blant started on a few vittles today, after nine days of starving, he said. The way I done it was to make out I thought he was trying to cheat the gallows. Then he called for meat and bread. Pears like the gallows is the onlyest prospect he is able to take comfort in and I hold it before him constant to sort of keep his spirits up. Though God knows I'm a-actin' the black hypocrite when I do it, 
when there ain't the least grain of salt for him to get a death sentence. There's a strong prejudice against hanging in this country. Not a jury ever said in this courthouse that pronounced a death sentence. Blant would a noted if he'd a stopped to think. But even if the prejudice didn't exist, why, Blant hain't done nothing to earn the gallows. You might say he ain't done nothing for the law to take hold of. Of course, everybody knows his shooting of Rich was the worst kind of accident. And as for the Cheevers, he has killed and maimed. Why, that war is really a family affair, which the law hain't got no business to meddle with. Public sentiment is against the law mixing up in affairs like that, and that's the reason why no great effort hain't been made to arrest Blant before now. Folks has knowed he meant well, and he was hard-placed, and let it go at that. Now he's throwed hisself into the very jaws of the law, however, it may feel compelled to do something. But of course it won't be nothing like no death sentence. But I haven't got the heart to tell him so. No, I really have not. I believe he would dash his brains out against the wall if I did. Nucky was more insistent this afternoon when I read to him. He is sitting up now and begins to look like himself. I know pine blank something is wrong on Trigger, or Blant would have been here, he said anxiously. Nothing is wrong there except that the babe is ailing, I said. The mail carrier told me yesterday she was far from well. First Sunday, February I should be quite weighed down by the Mars trouble if it were not for the cheerful society of the boys, whose lively and funny doings afford some escape from tragic and depressing thoughts. This morning before church, when I was making the usual round of the ears with soap and wash rag, to my utter amazement I found Phillips clean, inside and out, behind and before. At first, stricken dumb by the discovery, for I long since abandoned the hope of reforming him in the matters of chivalry and cleanliness, I finally inquired what was the matter. Nothing, I just kept a-diggin', was his careless reply. Tonight, however, when everybody was undressing, Hen slid noiselessly into my room, mysteriously shutting the door behind him. Half-clothed, I dived into my closet, soon emerging in my wrapper. Hen himself was in trousers and undershirt, with dangling galluses. Planting himself on the hearth, back to the fire, he held up first one bare foot, then the other, to the blaze, and at last spoke in a confidential tone. Philip lied to you this morning when he said there wa'n't nothing the matter with him. He knows what made him watch his years, and I know. "'What was it?' I inquired, drawing up the rocker. "'He's a-courtin'. That's what's the matter.' "'Courting!' I exclaimed incredulously. "'Yes, courting, by grab. You mind Dilsey Warwick, that air little towhead come in at her Christmas from over on Wace?' "'Yes, I remember Dilsey, a demure dove of a child, in blue homespun dress and red yarn stockings.' with long, fair hair hanging in two plaits, and the face of an austere little saint. She is at least three years older, and a head taller than Hen, but it pleases him to speak of the sex in diminutives. "'You know I pack water to the big house of a morning before breakfast,' he continued. "'Well, Dilsey, she sweeps off the front porch over yonder, then, and Philip, he goes round and mends the fence where the hogs break in of a night.' I groaned an assent. 
The neighborhood hogs are badly on the rampage, after our mustard and turnip greens, which show temptingly when the snow melts, and the fence is so frail it gives way constantly to their assaults. Well, proceeded Hen, that's as good a chance as he wants, when they ain't nobody much around but me, but I keep my eye on him. I tip round the corner of the house right easy and come up on him unexpected. You are certainly mistaken about Philip, I said decidedly. Why, he despises girls, has no earthly use for them, in fact. Daggone me, he's got use enough for little Dilsey by Ned. Gee, I never seed the beat. He sot in a court in her the day he got out from each, and hain't stopped to catch his breath since. Dad, swing my hide if that air boy hain't been nailing planks on that front fence with little bitty four-penny nails, so's the hogs'll root em off sure ever night, and he'll get to work there and talk to Dilsey of a morning. I been keeping my eye peeled for him ever since I seed him give her a apple one day at recess. I knowed then something had happened to him. I sat speechless. But what made him wash his years? continued Hen with lowered voice and another glance at the door. One morning, while Stilsey was a-sweepin', here come Philip along a-swingin' his hammer and nail-box. He put his hand in his pocket and pulled out a candy cane I had seed him a-eatin' on the night before. One of these here they fotch on at the store for Christmas, and poked it at Dilsey. Have some, he says. Eat it all, if you want. Dilsey, she put out her hand for it, and then she tuck a hard look at it, and then at Philip, and says she's obliged, but she don't believe she wants any. Philip, he shoved it again in her face. Don't be afeard, he says. I'd rather you'd have it as anybody. Little Dils, she said no thanks. She wouldn't choose any. Daggone if she ain't the ladiest girl ever I hear talk. And Philip axed her what's the reason. But she just kept a-sweepin' and wouldn't open her mouth. Then Philip, he grabbed her by the shoulder and says, By heck, she's got to tell. And Dils, she shuck him off proud-like and says, Well, if you bound to hear it, I don't crave to eat at her no boy that don't never wash his years. Then Philip, he was a-boilin'. Dad burn if I'd take any such talk from any woman. And he says, I bet they clean as yourn. And Dilsey she frowned and spoke up solemn. I'd have you know, Mr. Philip Floyd, my years gets washed every day I live. And made for the door. And Philip, he seed me behind the post and give me as much candy cane as I could bite off not to tell nobody what she said to him. And for two days he sold, and never came a-nigh her mornings, and mended the back fence. Then, when his bath night come, he turned in and pointly scrubbed the hide off his years, in and out, and went back to mending the front fence next morning, and him and Dilts made up. And he allus gives her new sticks of candy now. And don't you never let on I told you, lessen you want to see me killed. End of chapter 23